Good morning. If you would open your Bibles right to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1, uh, we're going to be looking at various places in the Scripture. So if you want to uh, get your fingers ready to turn a little bit. God has taken intricate care, hasn't he, to individually create us with great love and detail, hasn't he? I mean, it's sometimes, you know, maybe it seems a little self-seeking to think, boy, God's created me with great love and detail, but it is true. It is true. In fact, David writes in Psalm 139, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. And get this. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How can we doubt God's detail, his care in our lives when we read passages like that? I mean, uh, this knowledge, this awareness, like in the life of David in this psalm, it's supposed to bring us to a great sense of awe and reverence and, and worship when we think of our great creator. When we see the, the, the detail and the purposefulness to which God has created us, we ought to be moved to worship. In fact, that is what we are looking at right now in this first rhythm of life, worship. This worship, however, is not just an individual worship. Last week, Pastor Dennis talked about uh, our individual sense of worship that we're to have in our walk with Christ. But there's more to worship than just an individual worship. You see, the worship that, that the Bible speaks about is not simply an individual worship, it is a worship that God has designed to be in the context of community. For just as God has uniquely des designed us as individuals, so has He uniquely designed us to be a part of His larger people. A people that are to, to be a worshiping, a worshiping community. A people that hold Jesus at, at the center of our attention and our thoughts and our, our discernment. So this morning we're going to look at our worship, not simply as individuals, but as part of a community. It's easy, isn't it, to think about worship on simply an individual level. Well, you know, the worship serve us, uh, music, I really, it wasn't my taste, I really wasn't into worship, or, you know, this doesn't really move me to worship, or this, or this. And what we find out is when we have a, 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 an individualized sense of worship, what it, what it often turns to is a me-centered worship. 
But God has called us to something greater. And what we're going to do this morning is we are going to trace through the Bible God's intent and design to make for himself a people that bear his name and reflect his glory. In other words, what I want us to do this morning is to look through the Bible to be able to to gain a Bible understanding of this idea of community worship. How do we know that God has designed us, in other words, to be a part of community, to be serving and worshiping God as a part of a people and not just as individuals? So we are going to take an overview of the Bible to see what the Bible has to say about God's people and worship. I've heard in talking to different individuals, um, different individuals that that have said to me, well, you know what, I, I really enjoy this preacher that I'm watching on TV or this preacher that I'm listening to on the radio. So, so that is my church. And, and there's been excuses for, you know, I, I don't physically attend a church, but this is what I'm doing. And it's not that God cannot use those things, but that is not God's design. And we're going to see why that's the case in taking an overview through the Bible. And then next week what we're going to do is we're going to see, okay, if this is true, we see it laid out in the Scriptures, how should we then, as a part of Christ's church, pattern our lives as part of a local worshiping community? Because if we are brothers and sisters in Christ, if we've... uh, look to Christ in faith and repentance. And Scripture tells us that that we are God's special people and what a privilege it is to be a part of that special people. And we're going to look at how we're to pattern our thinking and our lives as a community of worshipers. Let's pray this morning. Lord, I pray that you would Lord, open your word before us, before our hearts, and would your Holy Spirit work in our lives. Father, would you instruct us? Would you teach us? Would you help us to to see the importance, Lord, not simply of individual worship in our lives, but being connected to a church body as a worshiping people? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as Dennis has shared throughout this series, our key theme of the series is in Christ, believers are free to live as God intended. So if we are going to live as God intended, if we are going to be a a people of worship, then that worship is going to be marked in our personal walk with the Lord and in our corporate walk with the Lord so let's look at a few things this morning as we start out in Genesis. This morning, I'm gonna, we're going to look at two main points. Number one, God's creation design, and then we're going to look at God's plan unfolded. So what is God's creation design? 
We saw in Psalm 139 that God has orchestrated and, de- and designed our days before we were even in existence. Boy, that should help us to put in perspective all of the the trials we go through, all of the question marks in our life, to know that, hey, there is a grand designer here. There is a purpose for our lives and what we are going through and what God is intending to do. But also we see this as a people. As we look at God's creation design, I want to start by looking at what is God's divine intent for his people. And I think we see from the very first pages of Genesis that God has been, from the beginning of time, uh, seeking to create a people for his glory. If you look at Genesis 1, and, and Dennis touched on this last week in verse 26, it says, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. What does it mean to be made in God's image? It doesn't mean that we look like God. It doesn't even simply mean that just as God thinks, we think. And just as, as, as we make decision, uh, God makes decisions, we do. Uh, though those things are true, being made in God's image means that we are God's representatives. We are his representatives. Bearers, we are his mark in the world he created. In ancient Near Eastern culture, what would a king do when he had a temple? He would put a statue of himself in that temple that this is my temple or in his country. Here is an image of myself to show that this is mine. God creates his world and he puts his image, his, the mark of his rule, of his image in the world he created. We are God's representatives. Then notice verse 28. God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. So you get the idea here that God creates his world... He puts Adam and Eve, we see from Genesis 2, uh, where Dave read, he puts them in the Garden of Eden. And Genesis 2.15 says he is to work it, he is to, um, to guard the garden, he is to take care of it. And the idea there with this word subdue in Genesis 1.28 is that Adam is called to extend God's rule, his order throughout the entire world. That right now, the Garden of Eden where God has placed him, uh, he is to take care of that. But this, this care and this rulership is to extend past the garden into the entire world. And part of that is multiplying, being fruitful. And as There are more and more image bearers in this world, so God's glory spreads throughout the entire world. Why? Because we have God's image bearers representing God, walking in obedience to Him, 
declaring his glory throughout the entire world. You see, God's original intent is to create a people for his own glory. A people that live not unto themselves, but to their maker. A people that realize that being God's image bearers, we are reflections of God himself, the one who created us. But we also see something interesting as as the Bible specifically says, male and female, he created them in his image. We not only see that God's divine intent was to create a people for his glory, but God's creative intent was to create mankind as a community. It is not just Adam. It is not just Adam who is to do all of this, who is to extend God's rule past the garden into his entire creation. It is a people. In fact, Genesis 2 and verse 18 says, The Lord said it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. And of course, verses 18 to 25 we know is in the context of marriage, right? But I think that many times we short-circuit what Scripture is, is, is ultimately telling us by limiting this idea of, of, of uh, this text to simply marriage. Because if we say, it is not good that man should be alone, I will make a helper fit for him, and we limit this to marriage, what do we do for everyone that God has not called to be married? Are they somehow lacking in life? It's interesting that this word, to be a helper to Adam, this is not just a word that is used to speak of Eve or of woman. This is a word that God, uh, that, that speaks of God himself who is the ultimate helper. Did you know Psalm 121, 1 and 2 says this, I lift my eyes to the hills from where does my help come from? My help comes from who? The Lord who made heaven and earth. You see, uh, we are not limited somehow if we don't have a spouse that, man, somehow we are lacking God's full intent for our life. Our ultimate help, our ultimate helper is from the Lord. And yes, we see here that God has initiated this relationship of marriage. But this text speaks uh, so much broader than just marriage. We see here in verses 18 to 25, mankind's need for community. I mean, can you imagine Adam naming all of the animals, which again is a sign of rulership. Adam is ruling God's creation, representing God. He names all of these, exercising dominion, and he realizes that there's pairs of everything except for himself. You see, we often short-circuit in our life thinking that 
community is found somehow in meeting the right person, when community is to be found amongst the people of God. Yes, if God has called you to marriage, um, uh, what a great thing that is. And, and, and the whole picture of marriage we read in the New Testament is a picture of Christ and the church. It's not just about you as a, as a man or a woman and your spouse. No, that, that's, that's looking at marriage from a, a uh, horizontal perspective, not vertical. Uh, the very function of marriage is a picture of Christ and what he has done for his people. The relationship he has for his people. You see, many will sometimes say, well, I'm not married, so I cannot know true community as God intended, and that is simply false. God has designed his people to be a source of true community. So we see here, Adam and Eve, they are brought together, they are, they are wed, and they share a, a, a fellowship and a community as, as husband and wife and as the only two people on the earth. But we see not only God's divine intent, but then we secondly turn our attention to sin's distortion. As you know in Genesis 3... You're familiar with the story, more than likely. Um, Adam and Eve disobey God. They, they take of the, of the fruit, that the, the one tree that God said not to take. That was the one that was the most tantalizing. And uh, because Satan says God is somehow withholding something from you. And guess what two results we have because of sin's distortion. Number one, when we look at the context of community, we see isolation. Genesis 3.8, and Dennis talked about this quickly, um, and I'm going to look at it from the aspect of community. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden on the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Genesis 3.8 shows that, that sin has brought isolation. First of all, isolation from God. We try to hide ourselves from God. I mean, he's our, again, he's our creator. He knows us. Uh, he's the one that we should run to. But yet we hide ourselves. But then Genesis 3.12 shows us something else. The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. You see, sin has created isolation not only from God, but from one another. And think about whatever relationships are in your life. You think about if you are married, your husband or your spouse. You think about in your family, if you're a child, maybe your siblings or even your parents or your friends. You think of the people in this church at your job. Sin has caused isolation not only from God, but from one another. Because of sin, now we feel like we have to be on the defensive. Because of sin, Adam is not taking the ownership that he had. He's blaming his wife. 
And I don't, you know, yeah, she did eat of the fruit first, but I read in Genesis 2 that it was Adam specifically who God said, do not eat of the tree. He should have, have stopped her. You see, community begins to break down because of the fall, because of sin. And one of the results of sin, of the fall, is now wired within our DNA is that we all struggle with the sin of selfishness, self-preservation. And community is broken down. Of course, we have the promise in Genesis 3.15 that God would send an offspring that will bruise the serpent's head. Even here we see community with, with the promise of offspring and that individual from that offspring who would undo what Satan uh, has brought into this world. He would bruise his head. He would crush his head. But not only do we see sin's distortion of isolation, there's a second distortion when it comes to community that sin has brought. If you turn over your Bibles to Genesis 11, this is the result of sin leading to independence. Independence. Many of you know the story of the Tower of Babel. Verse 1 says the whole earth had one language and the same words. So mankind did begin to be fruitful and multiply. But instead of being image bearers that reflected God's glory, uh, the fruitful multiplication, the spreading was only happening in a limited sense, and it was not bringing glory to the Creator, it was bringing glory to the creation. And you notice in verse 3 and 4, it says, They said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had made brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. They said, Come, let us build ourselves a city. In a tower with its top in the heavens. What's the responsibility of an image bearer? To bring glory, to, to represent who? The, the, the one in whom the image is made, God himself. What are they desiring to do? To bring glory to themselves, make a name for themselves. And notice it says, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. In other words, let's forget God's plan to represent Him, to spread to the ends of the earth, to be fruitful and multiply, that God's glory would shine across His creation. Let's remain here. Let's give glory to ourselves. You see, once again, like with isolation, the result of sin has brought a spirit of independence from God. That we no longer are truly seeking relationship and community with Him. We are seeking our own glory. Well, these people 
go ahead and start making this tower. And look at verse 6. The Lord said, Behold, they are one people. They have one language. This is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so they may not understand one another's speech. I agree with what one theologian said. God's words here in verse 6 He says, it can hardly mean that the heavens trembled because of the, quote, advancement of mankind. But on the contrary, God was troubled over over the injurious consequences that would fall upon humanity if left unchecked. So what does God do? He dispersed them over the face of all the earth and they left off building the city Therefore, its name was Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. Here we see now independence from one another. There's brokenness in the community. Now, there would be divisions. This was both a judgment... God was judging humanity for their rebellion against him, and he confused the languages. They all spread, but yet this was also a blessing that God is making them spread to the ends of the earth because they will not do it themselves. So you see here both judgment and blessing. But you see in Genesis 11 that, that the sense of unity and community, even when it was, was offset and it was against God's intentions, there was a unity there that is now broken because of sin. Maybe this morning you find yourself dealing with broken relationships, dealing with broken marriages with broken families with friends where there's offenses and there's hurts realize that there is sin at play that does not mean God's mercy is not there we see God's mercy here mixed with his judgment in Genesis 11 but because sin brings brokenness and consequences we have to ask ourselves where may I be at play here? And what are things that, that I need to give to the Lord? And not simply hold offenses. Because I realize that this is a result of the fall. So it seems like everything's messed up. It seems like God's divine intent is ruined. But that is simply not the case because I want to also look, number two, at God's plan unfolded. Did you know that all of these things are according to God's plan? We don't understand it, but it is. In the very next chapter after the Tower of Babel comes Genesis 12 where we see a promise of blessing. Genesis 12, God calls out Abraham and he, he calls him to go to a land that he is going to tell him. And we see here a promise of universal blessing. 
Notice verse 2, I will make of you a great nation, I will bless you, I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. That's actually a command. He is to be a blessing. Who does he bless? The end of verse 3, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God is thinking not simply on an individual level, he is thinking in a community level. In a worldwide level. Is God dealing with individuals? Absolutely. Abraham here. But it doesn't stop on the individual level. It is something that God is doing that is much larger than any one individual. Man, we need to remind ourselves of that. Maybe some of the difficulty that we're facing, maybe instead of bemoaning how it's affecting our lives, we need to say, God, this is affecting my life, but I need to look outside of myself to see what you may be trying to do in the big picture of things. And God would do this through the promise of a seed. God promised Abraham offspring. Again, God's intent is to, is to form for himself a people that reflect his glory that never changes throughout the Bible. And then we jump ahead. If you turn in your Bibles to the very next book, the book of Exodus. In Exodus chapter 19. You remember that God's creation, his people were scattered, and now there are many languages, there's many nations, and God says, I am going to raise up a single nation to showcase my glory. And we see this with a gathered community, the people of Israel. You see, Israel was to be God's holy nation. In Exodus 19, the people of Israel are at the foot of Mount Sinai. God is going to, to make a covenant with them to enter into covenant um, that they will be God's people and God will be their God. And he introduces um, himself to the people at the mountain by saying in verse 4 of chapter 19, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So God says, Israel, people, you saw everything I did to make you my own. I brought you out of Egypt in a miraculous way. I literally bore you on the strength of an eagle to fly you to myself. And now I have called you not simply to be my people that I possess, but no, you are a treasured possession. You are mine and I love you and I treasure you. Did you know that's God's relationship with you? I think sometimes we forget the treasured and we just think somehow possession in a negative way. No, we are treasured to God. He brought us to himself. 
and he says, you are going, he tells Israel, you are a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. They are to reflect God's glory to the pagan nations around them. This isn't just a a calling of an individual. This is a calling of a people. Each of them had had, uh, obligations to to follow God. And as each individual followed God, the nation, the people as a whole would follow God. uh, Israel was to be a committed people. In Exodus 20, God gives the Ten Commandments. This is how you live as my people. And the first five commandments are, are, are commandments specifically regarding man's relationship to God. The last five commandments are dealing with man's relationship to one another. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not covet. Uh, do not lie to one another. All of these things. So our relationship with God, out of that flows our relationship to one another. In fact, in Leviticus, sometimes, have you ever struggled reading through the book of Leviticus? You know, it's important to keep in mind the big picture that Leviticus, it is meant to show, to showcase the holiness of God and without Christ, how impossible it is to to live in relationship with Him. And look at what Leviticus 19 says. Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel. Say to them, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Of course, Israel, like us, could never be perfect. They had their shortcomings, but they were to have a heart that sought God, sought his holiness. God had provided sacrifices for them to to atone for for their shortcomings, their sins, their, their failures. God never expected Israel to be perfect. God's giving of the law was not a means to salvation. It was, this is how you live as my people. You can never earn my righteousness. We see that Israel was called to be a light to the nations. But as we know, as we read the rest of the Old Testament, Israel did not follow God. They did not seek God. Um, They were condemned. They were sent into exile. And God promised, I'm going to restore my people. But nonetheless, they failed in their role. Once again, they were a scattered community across the nations. Just like in Babel, They were given different languages and scattered across the land. So what does God do? We see thirdly as we enter into the New Testament. If you want, you can uh, uh, go to Acts 2. We'll be there in just a few moments. Our time is almost done. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. What does God do? Jesus comes, and we see now that through Jesus, there is a regathered community. A regathered community, which is the church. And I just want to look at a few 
things regarding the church, regarding Christ's people that are going to set us up for next week and we'll be done. How are we to view, what does the Bible say regarding this regathered community, which is the church? It's no longer um, uh, a a political nation like Israel is. Now it is a spiritual people, both uh, Jewish and non-Jewish, all nations together. We see, first of all, that this regathered community is literally a new humanity. A new mankind, so to speak. The theme verse for this series, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. We see that God is forming together through Christ a new people. And how do we know this? Because Jesus Christ himself is referred to in the New Testament as a second Adam. How did the first Adam do? Not too good, right? He gave in to the allurements and temptations of the devil. How did the second Adam do? He perfectly was God's image bearer, wasn't he? Satan allured him. He tempted him in the wilderness. What did, what did Adam do? Or what did Jesus do as the second Adam quoted scripture right back to him and said, I will not do this thing that you are calling me to. Where Adam failed, the second Adam was perfect. In fact, what is Romans 5 verse 19? That's on the overhead, so you don't need to turn there. It's kind of hard to read, isn't it? For as by one man's disobedience, speaking of Adam, the many were made sinners so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. 1 Corinthians 15, 45 says, Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. God breathed life into him. He became a living being. The last Adam, Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. It is through Jesus that we have life. Adam was given life. Jesus, as the second Adam, gives life. You want to know another characteristic of this new humanity? That first of all, we are a new people because we now are under a new Adam that did not fail, that did not sin. Jesus has brought about a new creation, a new people. But we are now possessed with the Holy Spirit. We've been given the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives within us. And notice what Jesus said shortly before he ascends back to heaven after his resurrection. Jesus says to his disciples, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he said this, get this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Spirit. He breathed upon 
the 12 disciples, symbolic of what was about to happen in Acts 2, that they were going to receive the Holy Spirit. That is parallel with what we read in Genesis 2-7. God breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living creature. You see, Christ is the second Adam who has now, we no longer live if we are Christians according to the condemnation and the failure of the first Adam. Man, if we are, are, are in Christ, we now have a new identity, no longer of condemnation, but of acceptance, of mission, of purpose, of certainty. Is that the identity that you're living out of today? Or are you, are you living like the old Adam? You see, we are a new humanity, but we are also a united people. And this is where we start to, to tie things together. In Acts 2, the, the, the disciples, they receive the Holy Spirit. And it says... If you look at verse 6, at this sound, the multitude came together. So the, the, the coming of the Holy Spirit produces a great sound. Uh, the mul- a multitude comes together. They were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? So it's like, how are these people speaking in, in other actual foreign languages? They're all Galileans. And, and verse 8, how is it we hear each one of us his own native language? And then verses 9 and 10 go through all the different countries where, where these gatherers had come. They had come to celebrate um, the Feast of Pentecost in Jerusalem. All of these uh, Jewish, belie- uh, Jewish people and proselytes had come. Verse 12, they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? And it says that they, um, in in one of the verses, they were declaring, uh, verse uh, 11, at the end of verse 11, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. We see that because of the work of Christ and the sending of the Holy Spirit, that that it has now united a people under Christ. Do you know what this is? And there's a reason why we went all the way back to Genesis to kind of tie these things together. So you see, the Bible actually fits together and tells one story. This is a reversal of of what happened in Genesis 11 with Babel. That because of Christ and the new humanity that he has established, now what was divided at Babel is coming together in Christ. God is being faithful to his original plan to form for himself a people for his glory that would be across the, his, all of his creation to declare the mighty works of God. Because where God's glory shines, that is where his creation thrives. 
This is not God somehow being a, a, like us, wanting to just, to just uh, fill our own pride. No, this is God saying, my glory must shine for my creation to thrive. How can a plant grow unless the sun is shining upon it? So it is with his creation. God has formed a united people. You see, we at Covington Baptist Church, we are just a picture of the universal church that spreads across continents and languages and races and all of those things. We are a part of something larger. And this also produces us to be a people of mission. We're not going to turn there. Uh, Dennis has talked about Matthew 28, 18 to 20. But just as God gave Adam the mandate, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth so that the world would be filled with his image bearers, now we, under the second Adam, our creation mandate is to go out and make disciples so that God's image bearers um, that are united to Christ would once again be able to declare his glory to the ends of the earth. And lastly, this regathered community, it's not simply a new humanity, it's not simply a united people, it's not simply a people of mission, it is indeed a community of saints. You and I, all of us as a church body, form a community. And there's implications to that forming of a community. And we're going to talk about that next week. But as we close, as we're uh, four minutes over here, as we close, I want you to, 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 to prepare your, your, your minds and hearts for next week by asking yourself, have I been so stuck on self that I have missed the big picture of what God is doing, not, o- not only wanting to do through me and in me, but in those around me? The, the, the cultural default of, of, of the world we live and because of the sin in our hearts, our default is to, to move to to, to me, to isolation, to self. But because we are a part of this new creation, this new humanity, we have been called to others. And we express our worship to God as we join ourselves with His people to minister, to proclaim God's goodness and to prioritize Him above the selfish needs of self.